Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hey, we're starting our annual vision series this week. I'm very, very excited about it. Every um, year we take about a month or two to look at why does Saints Hill exist as a church? Why Saints Hill? Um, we, we look at why are we here in Newburgh, this place with tons of churches, why have another church here? And uh, what is our goal as a church? What is our goal as a church? Now, typically what we would do is we would look at our 10 core values. If you're new to Saints Hill, Saints Hill is essentially founded around 10 core values that really articulate our culture. They articulate our shared heart, our direction as a church. And if you're curious about any of them, we have cards out in the lobby, all 10 core values with 10 declarations on the back of them and what they mean for us. And we've taught through all 10 of them uh, a couple different times now. So if you're curious, you can go to the podcast, you can listen to those. Um, and then also, breaking news, uh, I've written a book that has a chapter for each of the 10 core values that we're gonna be releasing in January. So, yeah, so you'll have that. Um, I did it. I didn't think I could do it, and I did it, so maybe it's more for me than anybody else, but I did it. Uh, now, typically we would teach through each of these 10 core values um, for, it would take us a couple months to do that. But what I sensed this season and for this vision series is a tad different. And uh, I know where we're supposed to be this week. I have no idea what I'm gonna talk about next week. Uh, but this week was a little bit unique for me. I had a entire message prepared uh, just a few days ago of what I was gonna talk about. And then I, I, I had a time, I was out on my back porch uh, one evening, and I was just listening. I was, going, I was really trying to stretch the amount of time I can stay in silence and solitude and just go, God, is there anything that you wanna say to me? Anything that you wanna change? And he said this, he said, I want you in this vision series to go back to the basics. And I said, yes, of course, that's what vision series is for. It's going back to the basics, that's the whole point. And he says, no, the real basics. I'm like, okay, what are the real basics? And this is what I felt him say to me. I want you to talk about what it means to be fathered by me. I want you to talk about what it means to be fathered by me. Your joy, your growth, your fruit are all found in God being your father. So today I wanna to talk about the fathered life. We're gonna look at a couple passages um, throughout the, the scriptures, so, so get ready. Um, but before we get there, I wanna start here with a question. And here's the question, if you're taking notes, write this question down. If you're not taking notes, write this question down. Here's the question. <laughs> Some people haven't heard it before. That's, that's lovely, I appreciate that. <laughs> what is the goal of life? What is the goal of life? No small questions this week. What is the goal of your life? Here's my synthesis from the scriptures of what I think the goal of life is. Feel free to snap a picture. The goal of life is to become unafraid sons and daughters able to rule in love alongside Christ for the renewal of the world. What is the goal of your life? 
The goal of your life is to become an unafraid son or daughter who's able to rule in love alongside Christ for the renewal of the world. There's a lot in there. Here's where I get that framework of purpose. Next slide. I'm going to work through how, how do we get, how, does, how did I get there? Here's the framework of purpose that I believe the scriptures give to us. In Genesis 1, verse 26, here's what we learn We learn that God created us out of abundance, not lack. It says, Let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule. Now, the important thing to note here is that God doesn't create humans because he needs humans. He's so lonely, he doesn't have anybody else, he needs humans so badly, he's like, well, I might as well create some. No. God creates humans out of an overflow of Trinitarian relationship rather than a lack of relationship. In other words, God wants you, he doesn't need you. He is able to delight in you without controlling you. So the first thing that we learn is that we're created out of abundance, not lack. Humans are overflow of the Trinity designed to rule over creation. Second thing that we learn is from Genesis chapter two. There's raw material in the garden and God shows up in this garden for evening strolls. What does that mean? Well, we're designed to create culture. Why is there raw material in the garden? Was Eden perfect? Oh, you guys are smart. People used to just answer. It's a trick question. Was Eden perfect? Eden was good. But there's raw material in the garden, and the reason why it's there is that God is interested in what humans will do when he puts raw material in their space. What will you do with it? The onyx, the gold, the, the, the really great land over by Havilah. <laughs> We're designed to create culture. That's what, it, that's what creating culture is. It's taking raw material and doing something with it. We're designed to create culture, and like a child showing his dad the fort he built when he gets home from work, we do culture development with a father. You weren't, do you do culture on your own? It's, it's, it's nothing. It's meaningless outside of relationship with a father. The third thing that we learn about the purpose of humans is from Genesis chapter three, and it's this. Sin happens when we are more afraid of what we may lack than we are aware of who God has shown us that he is and said that we are. What is sin? You're like, what is it? What is it? Where does sin even come from? Sin happens when you are more afraid of what you lack than you are aware of who God has said that he is and said that you are. That's when sin comes in. At the root of any sin, you look at, why did I sin? Why did I, why did I do that? You had a belief about God's intentions for you, about who he is. You had a belief about your, yourself, about who you are, and you made a decision out of fear instead of love. That's what sin is. And so then the New Testament authors, they exhort us to live lives of coming into the presence of God boldly. That's in Hebrews chapter 10. Since we've been washed, baptized, if you've, if you've not been baptized, you need to get baptized, come talk to me. If, you, if you've been baptized, washed, you can come into the very presence of God without any sort of reserve, without any sort of, oh, should I? I wonder what his mood is today. No, you can come in boldly to exchange any thought that instills fear and lack with God's thoughts, we have the mind of Christ, and to make trust decisions like Abraham for the reconciliation of people to God. This is the purpose of your life. This is what it means to be human. And you know, there's this wonderful image from the prophet Ezekiel that really sums up 
all of this into a, a beautiful picture. If you know the story of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's a prophet, and he, he's specifically prophesying during a time of exile. In other words, uh, there's been a, one nation has come and kidnapped uh, Israel from their land. Not a good thing, okay? And he's prophesying. He's supposed to be a prophet of hope, but also a prophet of correction. He has this vision of the temple, of the glory of God within the temple, the very presence of God within the temple. And what he sees in this vision is that there's a small leak that is happening out of the door of the temple. There's a little bit of water, like the plumbing's broken or something. And this water, it's a small leak, and it turns into a stream. And the stream turns into a river, and the, and, and the river becomes bigger and bigger, and it begins to produce, it's this freshwater river that begins to produce healthy plants alongside the banks. And Ezekiel says this, the trees that are planted along the banks of this river from the presence of God, they have healing in their leaves. Profound image. And this river makes its way down through the desert all the way to the Dead Sea. And if you know about the Dead Sea, you know it's the, like the saltiest body of water on earth. And instead of this river becoming salty, the Dead Sea becomes fresh. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus says, if anybody thirsts, you should come to me. You want fresh water? You should come to me, and I will make rivers of living water come out of you. Is it a coincidence that the New Testament calls you the temple of God and that Jesus says rivers of living water are gonna come out of you? The very design of your life is to be heaven on earth. It's to be fresh water turning salty situations sweet. That's what it means to be human. I'm telling you that you were designed to rule and ruling looks like allowing the fresh water of the presence of God to come out of you and touch the salty people of your life so that they would be turned sweet, hearts of flesh. It's all the same metaphor. Now, there's a, I, I see this and I go, wow, that's beautiful. That's the purpose of my life, how incredible. But there's a problem that I have, and maybe you'll resonate with this. When I personally feel, because of my circumstances, because of some kind of conversation I had, because of something that somebody said, when I feel that I am in lack, whether it's financially in lack, or I'm lack in my time margin, I just am stressed out, I don't have enough time to do all the things that I need to do, if I feel that I'm in lack emotionally or even in lack in my identity and spiritually, if I don't think that I'm important and I'm really not worth very much, I have a very hard time in that time to remember that I'm designed to be an unafraid child who co-rules with Christ for the renewal of the world. That's just not really the thing that's the forefront of my mind. And so what happens is I tend to then make decisions and choices like Adam and Eve out of fear. Here's a little bit of wisdom. All external conflict in your life, you have external conflict in your life, all external conflict comes from internal conflict. And all internal conflict comes from fear. All external conflict in your life actually comes from internal conflict and all internal conflict comes from fear. When you're afraid, it's very hard to love. When you are in competition, it's very hard to love. When you are afraid of what people may be saying about you or they may think about you, it's very hard to be fresh water that turns salty water sweet. 
You see, many believers, they have great theology. <laughs> they, they watch the Bible Project videos. They have a general understanding of the meta-narrative. They have a theology. They might even have a semblance of what it means to be a disciple. They have kind of a general working definition of what a disciple is. But they are unable to really rule because their inner world is a wreck. Why is their inner world a wreck? because they don't have a revelation of a good father. All external conflict comes from internal conflict, and all internal conflict comes from fear. Fear comes from, I don't understand who God is. I have a mistaken understanding about the kind of character God has. What if God is mad? What if I expended his grace somehow? with what I did last weekend? What if I'm not enough? What if I'm just unremarkable and average? What if I should have fill in the blank, whatever it is for you? If you're there, if your inner world is in any of those spaces, then you don't understand the kind of dad that you have. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. That's where we're gonna begin, Romans chapter eight. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old, and for the first eight years of following Jesus, I was very comfortable with having a God, I was not comfortable with him being my dad. I know there's people in this room that you're like, when you pray, you pray daddy. I'm like, I remember just being like, how cringy, how weird. Like, come on, please don't do that. Maybe God, Jesus, there's some names we're given, Yahweh even, daddy, come on. I was so comfortable with the, 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 the reverence that uh, having a God in your life means. I was comfortable with the submission that came from, no, he's God, you submit to him. I was comfortable with the marching orders kind of relationship. I just couldn't quite get to dad. <laughs> I found, actually, as I... As I I got to know Andoni and I got to know Jacob and I found that as the, these guys had a different understanding of God than I did. <laughs> and I found that my need to hold God at God and not dad was because I didn't really wanna let him in all the way. I didn't really think he would like all that he found in here. See, I, I had this, what I call the incessant voice of guilt in my life. Even as a Christian, I had this incessant voice of guilt, this incessant voice of lack in my life. And you know, on the surface, it probably didn't look like guilt to anybody else. It probably looked like, oh, Alex is just really driven. It was actually guilt. <laughs> oh, Alex is just thoughtful, and he's creative, or he's passionate, but if you were to ask why enough in my life, why are you driven? What's driving you? Where are you driving to? <laughs> Why, why do you work so hard? Why do you care so much what people think? Why do you put your effort there? If you were to ask me those questions enough, deep down I had a feeling that I wasn't enough. I had tasted the initial fruit of the cross, but then I had settled for a definition of love that seemed reasonable, not incredible. 
It was a reasonable definition of love. It was a God definition of love. It wasn't a daddy definition of love. And so what I did is I, I began to apply myself to make up for this perceived lack that I had. For what it really was is it was shame, it was guilt. That's what it was. And so as a pastor now, I, I know for other people it would look different depending on what their work is or who their friends are or what their goals in life are or any of that. But for me as a pastor, the way that I made up for the incessant voice of guilt in my life was trying to be impressive, trying to be thoughtful, trying to be smart which required a lot of study and a lot of work because I got like a 2.7 in high school and my GPA, okay? So I didn't come by school naturally. I wasn't a good student, okay? I, I really uh, had to work hard and so I thought, you know, if I'm gonna be a good pastor, then I better work really hard. I better study really hard. And it exhausted me. I remember I would just, I, there were all these, you know, I especially felt this as a young man because, you know, you get into seminary and you go, I just don't know anything. <laughs> I just don't know anything. I don't know anything. And so I really felt this need. I got to read this book and I better, I've never heard of that author and the Desert Fathers. I don't even, I get, I fall asleep when I'm reading them. And I, I had all of these just different perceived senses of lack in my life. So I better work really hard. And I got tired. I'm reading this book right now on um, uh, catechism in the third century. So, you know, think of the 200s. How did they do catechism? And they basically, the goal of, of the, you know, some of the, the, church, the fathers of the church, their goal was to develop spiritual athletes who could withstand martyrdom, withstand the depressing culture. You're like, that's inspirational. I'll tell you what, I tried to be a spiritual athlete and I got exhausted. I atrophied. Walking home one day from work, I was, I was listening to a, a sermon that was like this sermon. <laughs> and I had this voice come into my head. And here's what it was. Alex, when have you ever applied the same effort you're applying to study and to learning and to trying to be impressive, when have you ever applied that same effort to understanding how much I love you? Never. Never. See, I thought that I would make up for the incessant voice of guilt. I thought I would make up for it through my accolades, my accomplishments. But deep down, I really needed a dad. So, I began to get curious. What if God wasn't the way that I thought he was? What if he was even can you exaggerate his, his love? Can you exaggerate God's kindness? I began to become convinced it was impossible. And then I read this passage, Romans 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, get this, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, when you really get down to it, you really ask why enough, your spirit Every human, your spirit cries, I need a dad. 
And as a believer with the Holy Spirit, your spirit then cries, I have a dad. See, many people, many Christians, they fail to rule because they have guilt voices in their lives that are louder than the voice of the Spirit crying, Dad, Dad. So yielding to the, what does it look like to yield to the Spirit of God in your life? It's yielding to the cry. It's listening to your life's cry. You don't need accolades. You don't need the attention from other people. You don't need accomplishments. You need a father. <laughs> That's what this passage is saying. And the Holy Spirit confirms that when you, when, when you get to that point and you, and you want to shrug it off and go, oh, that's silly. Oh, that's so Pentecostal. <laughs> when you get to that point, the Holy Spirit confirms that your most intimate cry, your most vulnerable state isn't silly. It's true. It's true. So here's the point. We rule. The purpose of what it means to be a human. How do you get there? We rule we co-reign because we're fathered first. You want to rule, you better be fathered. Look, this passage is just insane. It says Jesus is inheriting all things. And then it says, and you're a co-heir. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. I'm telling you, you will not recognize your inheritance unless you recognize you have a father. You will not recognize the, the power that God has given you by his spirit, the ability that he's put in you until you recognize that you have a dad. That is the key to co-heir. <laughs> that power of being a co-heir with Christ only comes from being fathered. Turn your Bibles to the left to John chapter 15. Just a few pages over, John 15 to the left. You know, I think of all the metaphors that God has used and all the parables that he's used to, to shape people, this is the one that he's used most here at Saints Hill. This is the one that he's used most to shape us. And in this parable, Jesus is explaining the real reason he came. What was the real reason Jesus came? The real reason he came was for humans to have a father connection. That's the real reason. And so Jesus uses this metaphor to help us kind of understand the kind of relationship we're supposed to have to the Trinity. He says, you know, you're like grapevine branches. You're like branches off of a grapevine. And so you're only gonna be productive. You're only gonna produce grapes, produce fruit, think ruling, think heaven on earth. You're only gonna produce that kind of stuff to the degree that you're connected, to the degree that you have an intimate, a heart-to-heart -heart connection with God. And so he says, you know, look, the process of, this process of bearing fruit, this process of, of heaven on earth through your life is a process of getting wins, seeing, seeing people come to faith because you invited them to Alpha, seeing somebody healed when you prayed for them, seeing somebody that you've been friends with for, for 20 years, because they've spent 20 years alongside you, they've begun to doubt their doubt. Fruit. You get wins, and that's, then what, guess what God does? He goes, oh, all wins are reward with pruning. <laughs> all growth is rewarded with cutting. And so I, I need you to listen to my word so that I can cut you right there so that you'll be even more fruitful. That's what this parable is saying. Now, 
on that note, verse seven, look down. Here's, this is kind of the summary. If you remain in me, Jesus says, and my words remain in you, Jesus' words, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. Everybody say glory. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, everybody say remain, Remain. in my love. That's your job, remain. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is a mind-bending passage, is it not? Because this is essentially what Jesus is saying. Next slide. He's saying this, God has tied his glory to our fruit and our fruit to his presence. (laughs) It's like, is that legal? Well, what does it say? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In other words, bear fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. God will not be seen for who he is without a demonstration through your life of kingdom fruit. (laughs) This isn't about just believing, I believe in God so I can go to heaven someday. No, 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 no. This is about a lifestyle that so engages in intimacy with God that you begin to become fresh water turning salty water sweet. Think of the cooperation. God has tied his glory to our fruit. And then he said, you're not gonna bear fruit apart from my presence. So, so what, I, what I want you to see is I want you to see what kind of father you have. What's his character like? What kind of father do you have in God? You have the kind of father who is after your joy. Jesus, what does he say? He says, I've told you all of this. I've told you about this process. I've told you about this relationship with God. I've told you this so that my joy can be in you. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying, I have this relationship with the Father. This is what I've done. You're like, when? The Garden of Gethsemane. That was requesting and pruning in real time. Jesus doesn't ask us to do things that he hasn't already done. So he says, this is the path to joy. It's my joy, and I'm telling you about it because I want my joy to be in you, and then your joy is gonna be complete. Look, there is no accolade, there's no material, there's no experience, there's no person who can give you the joy that you were made for. So make the choice to remain in his love. Make the choice to ask him questions, to request things, to tell him what you want. Make that choice. See, how you go wrong in the Christian life, what are the pitfalls of the Christian life? How you go wrong is by allowing the incessant voice of guilt to put you at a distance from God. There's no distance on his side. There's no distance on his side. The cross has taken care of it. But if you disqualify yourself from the presence and the pleasure of God by allowing the guilt voice to speak louder than the actions of Jesus, don't be surprised if your life doesn't look like ruling, like co-air reigning, 
This is the invitation of John 15, is to see the Father of joy, to come close to him, to tell him what's on your heart, and to trust that when you do that, that's where joy is made complete. That's where Jesus' joy is in you. So, to end. I believe that as a church, this is why this matters for the vision series, I believe that as a church, we are in a season of remembering and requesting. A season of remembering and requesting. The kind of dad that you think you have his character will determine what you request or even if you request at all. I, I used to, um, both of my, uh, on this side of my family, both my grandparents are now, they've passed away. But I remember going to their house and they had a Laffy Taffy jar, this giant jar filled with Laffy Taffies. And all the grandkids knew about the jar. It was nice and high up on a shelf. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, you didn't ask grandma for, for another Laffy Taffy. You asked grandpa for another Laffy Taffy. <laughs> because you knew grandma was like thinking of the implications. Like, well, if they have another Laffy Taffy and I'm here with them for another six hours, that's gonna be a little rough. Grandpa's like, sure, have as many Laffy Taffies as you want. Let's read the jokes and then here you go. And I, I, here's the reality. Because I remember who's more open to the Laffy Taffy idea, I make my request. What you remember about what God has been, what he's done, informs what you then ask in the future. It informs what you expect from him. We've had a wonderful four years as a church. It's been four years. Some of you, you started out here with us and it was your freshman year. <laughs> and now you're graduated. It's awesome. We've seen baptisms, we've seen healings, we've seen testimonies of mental turmoil being quieted with peace. Unbelievable. We, we, we've had wonderful times of just heaven, like heaven on earth worship. <laughs> wonderful times. We've had moments of insight, prophetic insight, revelation from the scriptures, from the spoken word. And I just think it's time for us to give thanks. It's to remember, to, to remind ourselves, oh yeah, God, this is who you've been for our, our, uh, us as a body. This is what you have done here in this valley. Thank you, thank you. One of the things I love most about our culture is that we are constantly looking for what God is doing, not what he isn't doing. I've been a part of so many uh, bodies of Christ, believers, well-intentioned people who they're consumed with what isn't happening yet. That is so not our culture. We're so concerned with giving thanks for what he has done because it's in that that multi multiplication happens. And so I, I, I think it's time for us to remember, but it's also, I think there's a, an opportunity here for us to request for this next season. And I'll say this, as a dad, I'm a dad, there is no better sound than daddy calling from the crib. The greatest sound, if you're a dad, you know, hearing daddy from the crib, it's the best. And I think God is inviting us into this father-son, father-daughter relationship. Call again. Request again. At pre-gathering prayer a couple weeks ago, we had this moment of silence, and in it, I just got this sense, you know, there's, there's times as a church where you're just trying to figure out, where is God going? I feel like we've been there, actually, even coming and being in this, you know, this building and making that transition. You're like, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you saying? And there's just kind of a sense of, we're just kind of staying on our toes and we're just following your lead. Whatever you're doing, that's what we're gonna do. 
but I felt like there was a season shift that we are entering, and it's the shift where God is going, well, what would you like? What do you want to see happen here? Mike Doran had a, had a wonderful image of God almost as a waiter coming by the table just saying, hey, can I get you anything else? Can you think of him that way? Well, he's a really good dad. Yeah, you know what good dads do all the time? They go, hey, you want any more toast? <laughs> Need some water? Yeah. Can I get you anything? And it's my desire that we see a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in our town, in this church, in you, that our town, you know, revival has been um, described many different ways, and I think often when we think of it, we think of a large tent gathering. Revival, my favorite definition of revival is it's an increase in an awareness of God for a region. It's an increase in an awareness of God for an entire region. That's, what, that's why Saints Hill. <laughs> that's what we're after. Now I've heard there's a little bit of a question that's been milling about our church body. Can we ask for more? Don't we already have his fullness? Should we be asking for more? Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit is given in the day of Pentecost. Unbelievable signs, fire come down and rest on the heads of the disciples. Acts chapter four, they ask again, fill us again, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And he pours his Holy Spirit out. In fact, in fact, Paul says this, in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, he says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It is legal for us to ask for more. It is legal for us to say, God, would you visit us again? Would you take what you've done in the past, we remember it, we give thanks, would you do tenfold in the future? Would you, would you so pour yourself out that you leave every person in Newburgh, Oregon without an excuse. They've seen you accurately, they've tasted a bit of the fresh water, and then they have a choice. Look, we don't make, we don't make God move. That would be so foolish for us to think. We don't tell him what to do, but there's something about our desire, something about our hunger that moves his heart. It's the woman in the crowd reaching out. It's the woman breaking her perfume over Jesus. It's the centurion who's like, you don't even need to come to my house, just say the word and I know it will happen. All of that attracted the outpouring of Jesus. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.